Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to have you with us. We're continuing a series called Way of Life as we look at the Sermon on the Mount. And if you have your Bibles, open there with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin with verse 20. And as you're turning there, let me just tell you what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about anger. And... uh, Ever since I started studying for this passage this week, God's been working on me. So we finished last week on Sunday. I go, I take a nap, I wake up, and the Packers are getting slaughtered by the Falcons. And my anger is rising. And then I got into it with um, my favorite airline. Just bummed me out. And I had to wait on the line and on Monday at the airline. And I got so angry with that. And then Wednesday came along and I got into the first accident of my life that was my fault. And so I've been, it's kind of like, God, we're going to learn about anger this week. He says, all right, let's, let's have at it. I felt like I've been a case study. So, I mean, there's some, sometimes that, you know, I'm kind of preaching out of my need and my, actually every week is that. Every week is me preaching out of my weakness and looking to the Lord. And I think that's what God does every week. And he brings us here, not because we're perfect, not because we've measured up because, but we all need Jesus, right? We all are broken. We're all uh, weak individuals who need Jesus. And Jesus is going to guide us out of anger today. And uh, he starts with us kind of coming to the end of who we are. And once he kind of brings us down to the base of who we are, he's going to build us up and give us a way out. He introduces this section as he's speaking to the crowds on the Sermon on the Mount by verse 5, verse 20. He says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Think about that. This is kind of like, wow, none of us have hope, right? Because the, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees was an external righteousness. It was all about rules and regulations and rituals, but it ignored the relationship with God. They were doing things, and they even created a, a code of life, a way of life for themselves, that they looked really good, and others didn't feel like they measured up. And what Jesus is saying is, look, you'll never perform your way to me. And that's why a righteousness from God, what we need from God, what we need to be made right with God cannot come from us. It's not in us being here in church. It's not in us uh, worshiping. It's not in us doing or trying harder or doing more good things to outweigh our bad things. It's a righteousness that Jesus himself must give us. And it's all through grace. And that grace is a gift from God to us. That whoever believes on Jesus will not perish but have everlasting life. What we need, only Jesus can give us. Jesus is our only hope. He's our only way out of anger. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to call out the Pharisees and the scribes in this teaching. But he's also going to call us back to really what a relationship with him is all about. He's going to use a phrase that you'll see repeated six times in this passage. He says this. He says, you have heard. In other words, the scribes and Pharisees have taught you this, but I say. But I say. 
And in other words, that he, being God, is giving us a new authoritative way. Not only does he fulfill the law, but he also charts out a way for us in a new way of life that Jesus would bring us. And so with that in mind, let's take a look at Matthew 5, beginning with verse 21. Here's what he says. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Let's just pause real quickly. Why is murder, why is it wrong? Why is it one of the, it's the sixth commandment. Jesus quotes out of Exodus chapter 13 here. Why is it wrong? It's because God is a God of life, right? God is the giver. He's the source. He's the sustainer. And he's even the taker of life. And that's his role. And and he gives dignity and he gives uh, new life to everything in this world. Everything is sourced and sustained by him. So when we take it into our own hands, when we get angry with someone and we murder them or, or there's no control in that area, we're going against him. We're taking his role. We're taking that away from him. It's a sin. And it's liable to judgment. In the Jewish world, there was no forgiveness for murder. You just went with that on you. And even there, there were some interpretations that even God wouldn't forgive you of murder. But look at verse 22. Jesus kind of gives a new way. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Wow. Liable to judgment, really? That's the same penalty as murder up front there. Keep, keep reading. It says, whoever insults his brother, well, that's another one, will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, or our interpretation would that be stupid, <laughs> will be liable to the hell of fire. That's even a more severe. So where do we stand on this? If I were to just ask for a raise of hand, not many of you, if I said, hey, how many of you have murdered someone this week? Not many of you, hopefully, would raise your hand, right? But if I said, how many of you got angry this week with someone? How many of you were frustrated? How many of you said stupid or idiot or something like that in a Facebook post and something, whether it's a leader or whoever, anyone around? Had you had, whoa, wait a minute. Let's not ask for that raise of hands either because we're all knocked out by that. We all have an issue with anger. And our only hope is the righteousness that Jesus can give us. Now, what I want, uh, what I want to kind of share with you is a little bit of picture of what is anger. What is anger? And then we're going to look at what Jesus calls us to, uh, when we're angry. Uh, first of all, anger is fueled by a belief you owe me. Why? Because all around anger is this concept of loss or something that you've missed. So I get into an accident this week and I knew that was going to cost me my deductible. I also knew that was going to cost me a future, maybe an increase. If you're my insurance agent, give me grace, please. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's missed out opportunities with that money. It said, thankfully, no one was injured. Um, it's that missed out opportunity that I had to keep going with my day. And it's amazing. Whenever we lose an opportunity or we miss an expectation, how quickly the, t- the temperature in our hearts can rise up and we can be angry. Some of us have had things stolen from us or taken from us. And it's this whole picture that whoever has hurt us, we go, you 
owe me. Think of all the things that we could build the case for what you owe. You owe me in a marriage faithfulness. You owe me um, a payment. You owe me restitution to make things right. You owe me an apology. You owe me time that we missed out on last week. You owe me attention. You owe me affection. And we can build the case. And we can be, we can be people who have a lot of debtors around us. And that can get in the way. Here's what I found. If we start living in this whole you owe me kind of mentality, it's going to kill us. It's going to kill us. It's going to destroy us. Anger, anger does three things as I've seen it. Not only in my life, but in so many others. Anger is a thief that steals love. We're called to love. Last week we were talking, that's part of your identity. You are light. And here it was. Let others see your good works that they might see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. We're called to be people of love. And what is love after all? It's, it's the giving up of ourselves to love someone else. So many of us get into relationships for what they'll give us or what we can get for them. But really biblical love is us showing up and loving someone, giving up our interests and even giving up our revenge to continue loving them. If we're going to be angry and we're going to start charting out the course for revenge or retribution, look out. I love what 1 Corinthians 13, famous passage on love says. It says, love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love is quick to forgive. That's why in James 1 and 19, part of our reading passage this week, it says that uh, be, be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. Because that's what loving someone is. It's thinking the best of them. It's wanting the best for them. But anger, it robs us of love. Anger also is a strategy that kills grace. So many of us operate uh, when we read the Bible with a righteous anger. We see the truth of God. We look around us and we see the inequalities of, of different nations or even our own culture. We see injustice and it gets us riled up. And that's a very natural, that's a very natural response to, to seeing things that don't match with truth. We get angry about them and we start venting. And we start building the case of, so I deserve to say this. Or if anyone else had this happen to them, they would do that too. And what this passage is really calling us to is, is in biblical forgiveness, it's all about grace. And grace is God's undeserved love. In other words, everything with God that I have is not because I've deserved it. It's because he freely gives it. If I got what I deserved from God... Look out, I'm gone. I'm gone. I wouldn't be here right now. If the full wrath of God was on my life for all the times I've messed up, (laughs) I don't think any of us would be here. But we don't get what we deserve. And that means, if we're honest, God's not fair. He's not fair. So if you're living in this life that he has to be fair on everything, no, you don't get what you deserve. That's not fair. Grace is not fair. Getting even is normal. Getting even with anger is worldly. But it's not godly. And every time we burst out with anger, every time we explode, anytime I implode and I, I process it and I withhold love from someone until they, you know, do what they need to do to get back in my good graces, well, take grace out of that phrase. Because <laughs> grace is undeserved. 
And as long as I'm acting out in anger, I'm killing grace. And then finally, anger is a virus that destroys relationships. I want you to think with me. Here's what I mean by virus. It means that it's contagious. It spreads. Think about the family you grew up in. Some of your mothers, every time she got ticked, she would just explode and everyone in the house would hear it. Some of the neighbors even would hear it. And so you go, wow, that's mom when she's angry. Others of you had dads who were really passive and they just stood there and they took it from the wife, you know. And that's how you are right now. Because although your parents may have taught you different things, there's a bunch of things you caught from them. We catch anger from the people in our lives. And that's why... The things you never thought you're saying to your kids, you're saying. I'm going to pull this thing over and I'm going to start cracking heads. Yeah, I thought I'd never say that until I took my first family vacation with my three boys. (laughs) Yeah, it's spread because there's so many things. You can teach a whole bunch of things with your words, but the way you live is a virus. It can either be a really good one. Or it can really be destructive. It will destroy relationships. And so we got to come to that point. Do you realize what this is? Who is it that, who is it that robs or that steals, kills, and destroys? Jesus identifies it. It's actually a strategy of Satan. In John 10.10, Jesus says this, The thief, or Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. What Jesus is really addressing here is, do you want a way out? Do you want a way out? Because all these things, and he was even calling the scribes and Pharisees the thief here too. If it's just about us trying harder, if it's just trying to not to mess up, it's just life is going to be stolen. Love's going to be stolen. Grace is going to be killed. Relationships are going to be destroyed. So my question, this is what Jesus calls us into. Take a look in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. He says, so... If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Let's just pause there. What is he saying? Well, remember, where is Jesus teaching here? He's teaching up in Galilee on probably the northern portion of the Sea of Galilee. Where did you give an offering? Where did you offer an offering? In Jerusalem. How far was that away? 80 miles. So Jesus was teaching and he goes, you know, when you make that track to the uh, temple and you give your offering there, well, if way back, 80 miles back from the four or five days distance, uh, way back in Galilee, someone, you've hurt someone? Don't present the offering. Walk back to Galilee, reconcile, and then come back. Why? Because anger gets in the way, right? And, and he's calling us to short accounts, even if it's costly, even if it costs us five days of walking back and forth to get there. He is more concerned about the condition of our hearts than he is the offering of our hands. God is always targeting our hearts. And at the issue of anger, at the heart of the issue of anger is our hearts. 
Look at verse 25. He says, come to terms quickly. Again, something quick. Don't delay. Don't stall uh, with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge over to the guard and you be put in prison. I truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus is in kind of an interesting way is calling us out of anger. How is he doing that? Well, he's calling us to short accounts. He's calling us to, to don't stack anger in our lives. It gets in the way of relationship with God. It gets in the relationship with each other. And that's why I would just say our waypoint for this week is this. Short accounts in me grow long-term relationships with me. This is such a key term for us. The quicker we can reconcile, the faster we can go, I'm sorry to someone, rather than letting, letting it stack as as Ephesians 4 says, not letting the sun go down on our anger. The quicker we can resolve, the longer the relationship can stand. Some of you have been struggling with relationships because of anger. And you wonder, why don't they last? Because you're stacking. You're stacking anger. And you've said, well, that person ticked me off. Forget about them. That person, I'm unfriending them. I'm, I'm unfriending this whole thing. Unless they support my political cause, you're no longer my friend. And we just cut them out and we just move from friendship and we jump. Guess what we have? Short-term relationships. Until so- That's really tough. If you've got that reputation, if that's your wake, and I want to be your friend, and I've seen how you treated people, We've got to come to terms with this. Is Jesus is leading us out. So let's ask ourselves some questions here. Where are you with anger? Because just like the scribes and Pharisees, we can hide behind the so, at least I didn't murder someone, right? And Jesus said, yeah, you, you have read. It's been said of old, you shall not murder. But I'll tell you, have you ever been angry with your brother? Have you ever said stupid to someone? We tend to minimalize anger. We tend to justify it. We tend to excuse it. But Jesus sees it for what it is in our lives. So the big question as we start here is just as Jesus saw it in the scribes and Pharisees, what does he see when he looks at your life? This is kind of a look up. Because Jesus sees our lives for what it really is, what they really are. He, he not only sees what others can't see uh, when no one is around, he also can see into the heart. What does he see? Because whatever he sees, I believe from this teaching, Jesus longs to deliver us from anger. He longs to deliver us from those things that are stealing and killing and destroying Everything he's come to give us, the heart of Jesus is to free us from anger. Another question, what do others see? This is kind of a look around you. The people who live with you, what do they see when it comes to the other side of who you are? Because each of us have a wake. It's like a boat in the water. We have a wake on how we treat people how we get results, how we live with relationships. And if you're a person of anger, you can look behind there. You can see a whole bunch of overturned boats. How about someone you love? If you ask them simply this question, so, honey, do I have a problem with anger? Think about it. 
I tried it recently, and someone was actually honest with me. And as they were telling me, my heart rate was going up. And I, those emotions, those feelings, they were coming out. I was ready to go, but, or you don't know, or I started to defend myself. I tended to min- min- minimal- minimalize it. Sorry about my stutter this morning. but th- And I started to just, and then I had to realize, wait, no, wait. Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to get angry. It's in the Bible. I better start living it. And so I started to listen. See, the people who love you and care for you, when they see you act out in anger, if they love you, they're praying for you to be delivered on this. You just asking them that question, I bet you they'd go, God, thank you for having this question just in my life right now. Because they long for you to be delivered by two. But here's the one where change can happen. It's what do you see? What do I see when I look into my life and I, I ask some thought, provoking questions to myself about anger. Here's three questions that have helped me personally handle anger in my life. First one is this. What am I angry about? Now, I journal every morning, and so uh, we're kind of a journaling church. If you don't have a journal, pick one up at the Welcome Center. But we just kind of write out our thoughts from day to day. And no one else sees those journals. They're not going into any publication or anything like that. But it's a way for us to be honest before the Lord. And one of the things, when I'm angry, I'll write, this is what I'm angry about. This is what I think I've lost. This is why, this is who I'm angry with. I'll just write that out because it helps it put it down there right for me. And I can name it. What am I angry about? Then another thing that I do in confession is how am I expressing it? There's sometimes that I'm just worrying about it and it causes me to lose sleep and I start plotting a course to act in revenge. <laughs> and that's where I'm kind of imploding with anger. There's other times when I may speak out or act out and that's where I can kind of explode with anger. You may be, depending on your wiring, you may be going, as long as I'm not saying anything, I'm okay. But deep inside are some strong emotions that are causing hatred and anger and revenge, whether it's withholding love, whether it's being just disconnecting from a relationship, how are you expressing it? And then another question is this, am I willing to walk away from this anger? From time to time, when Jesus would heal a person, he would say, do you want to be healed? And every time I've seen that in the scriptures, I've gone, of course they want to be healed. It's kind of like the rhetorical question of the, of the universe. But what Jesus is really saying is, do you want me to heal you? And I think that's the question with anger. Do you really want to be restored? Do you really want to be called out of anger and into grace, into forgiveness? Because here's the deal. Some of us are really afraid of what life would be like if we didn't act out in anger. We go, well, wait a minute. If you're going to take Facebook away from my area of venting, I don't know what I'll do with my day. Or if I can't act out, I don't know that I can. I mean, I've been acting out a lot. I just don't have that vent anymore. What? You're limiting my what? Yeah, we've got to be willing to trust God in the areas that we are afraid of, that we don't have a chart out. That's why we need him. We need him to guide us to a place we've not yet been. And that's what what being, being a person of faith is all about. By the way, Anger is not who you are in Christ. Remember last week, we talked about it. You're salt, you're light, you're the truth of God, you're the love of God. That's who we're called to be. 
And anger kills, steals, and destroys. So Paul gives us some direction. And we read this in our reading plan in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 on anger. Look what he says. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and uh, clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pick this apart because there's some really good wisdom in here for us. The first thing is this. We, when we're angry, we need to be willing to resist and reject the destruction caused by it. It's not if you're angry. It's when you're going to get angry, right? Because anger is a natural response to an injustice or to a feeling of loss. We're going to get angry at some point this week. When someone says, I'm angry, and someone just says, well, don't be angry, let's pray. I mean, that's really not a good message on anger. But so many times you just go, well, I'm not going to be angry. I'll just try. Well, trying not to be someone is a lousy, it's a lousy vision for who you really need to be. But you can say, when I'm angry, I'm going to pull back from this. I'm going to pull back from speaking the first thought that comes to my mind. I'm going to pull back from pointing my finger, from being judgmental. I'm going to pull back. Here Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. It's almost like he goes, okay, he puts them all in his hand and then he forgets one. He forgot malice, right? Because there's always a way out for us. So he grabs, and along with all malice, he puts it in there because I forgot that one too. And let them be just put away from you. In other words, throw them out, put them in the trash, get them out. Reject those as an option for an expression of your anger. For me, it starts with my words. I love the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 15, 1, it says this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And if you live with someone for a long enough time, you know the words you can say to get them going. You sound just like a parent who wasn't kind to them. You sound like just an area of frustration that they've had about themselves because they've been open with you. You know what you can do. You know the buttons you can push with anger. But here, a soft answer turns away wrath. James 1, 19 and 20 says, Be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We've got to resist and reject the destruction caused by it. Secondly, we need to be willing to restore grace to the relationship. Just like Jesus said, if you're offering, uh, uh, you're offering uh, in the temple, go back to Galilee and reconcile because reconciliation, bring grace back in. If you want grace, live grace. And I found that, that the way I treat people, if I treat people with revenge, I tend to be clouded in my understanding and my view and my joy of the grace of God. We're called to bring back the grace of God, especially in relationships that are difficult. Here, Paul says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, 
forgiving one another. I like what Proverbs 19.11 says. It says, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is to his glory to overlook an offense. When we're willing to just forgive someone, set them free. Have you ever driven like this? I try to drive like this, especially around that roundabout at 21st in Urish. That's made my message almost every week. I'm coming there and I see the guy and he's not going to stop for anything. And it's my, I'm in the roundabout. I own that thing. That's my world. And as a matter of fact, I do own the road, you know? And they don't stop and I'm slamming on my brakes. And I used to say something that I'm wondering, are you a pastor? But then I've had to step back and go, bless you, bless you, please, merge, merge, have a great day, something like that. And everyone with me now laughs, but it, it, it decompresses the moment from being really angry to just letting someone go, letting them free. There's a whole bunch of offenses against you that are not going to be worth you just playing them out to their fullest. I mean, I'd be in reconciliation meetings all day. There's times you just got to go, no problem, done. I'll think the best of you. I want the best for you. Restore grace. People, we are the people who received grace from Jesus. We've got to give grace so that the world will see what grace is all about. They're not opening up their Bibles yet. They're looking at you and how you handle yourself in a difficult situation. And then reconcile with the forgiveness of Christ. Look what Paul says here. As God in Christ forgave you. That's our pattern. Jesus is always leading us out. And he's leading us out of anger and into forgiveness. The word we need for anger is forgiveness. It's not just don't get angry. It's forgiveness. We have to practice the forgiveness of Jesus. And that is a costly forgiveness. It costs Jesus pain and suffering to be crucified for my sins. It costs Jesus um, the praise of heaven. It costs Jesus his position who took on flesh and lived a perfect life for me, who was ridiculed, who was despised, who who was rejected. It cost him that. And forgiveness will cost you. It always does. So many of us just go, well, no, no. Forgiveness is you, you do all these things so that the punishment is taken care of. No, that's not forgiveness. That's not biblical forgiveness. That's not, that's not the picture of Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, you give up your right to get even. You do. So that you can be a person of forgiveness. So, a story I have followed ever since it happened back in 1994 was a story about the country in Central Africa called Rwanda. Here's a Google map of where it is. It's a little mark there, a little country in Central Africa. Let me move up there. If we were to, just to give you a picture of how the size of Rwanda is, if you were to take a line from Kansas City through Topeka out to Manhattan, down to Wichita, and then back up to Kansas City. That's the size of the country of Rwanda. About 7 million people in 1994. It was divided, divided primarily of social classes. Not a racial issue, but more of a social issue. 
85% of Rwandans were a people group known as the Hutus. And 15% were those of the Tutsis. And they kind of sound funny, but those were the two names of the, of the people groups. 85%, they were the working class. They were the low class peasants. And the 15% of the Tutsis were the ruling class or the upper class. And they were hugely divided. The Hutu president at the time, on April 7th, 1994, his plane was shot down over the capital city of Kigali. And when it crashed, the whole country crashed. All the Hutus rose up and said, this is because of the Tutsis. We must enact revenge. We've never had justice. We've never had equality. Now is our time. Rise up, people. And over the next, over the next 100 days, a mass genocide erupted in this country of Rwanda. Amazing things happened for the perhaps one of the worst mass killings in our recent history. Over the next 100 days, 600,000 Tutsis would be slain and murdered. And they would be murdered by their neighbors, by people who used to live next to them. And since the Hutus didn't have a lot of money, they did it with machetes and with farm implements. Just to give you a a picture of the scale of this type of murdering that's happening here in this genocide. On 9-11, that 9-11, we remember that day, right, as Americans? Just under 3,000 people were killed that day. And over 100 days, double that, 6,000 people a day were murdered in Rwanda. Before this erupted, 94% of Rwanda said they were Christians. Think about that. Many of the Hutu pastors who were social justice pastors and really incited the Hutus to go and attack the Tutsis. In one situation, uh, by the way, they were just identified with these identification cards. That's how they would know what you were because there was no physical picture of you being a Hutu or a Tutsi by the, your appearance. And so these identification cards here, if you look right underneath his picture, let me zoom up on it. This man was a Tutsi and this was one of the slain. Many of them fled to churches because it would be in the church where they would have safety. But the Hutus pursued them to the churches. At this one in Entarama, this 5,000 people fled to this church and they were all brutally hacked to death in this church. Today, there's a memorial which shows the remains of heads, skulls, and femurs stacked up from the tragedy so that they would never forget. This man, Stephen Gahigi, the one on the right with the light shirt, during the genocide fled for his life to a neighboring country called Burundi. He came back uh, several months after the genocide. And he discovered that 52 members of his family were slain in this genocide. Specifically, he heard the story of his sister being dragged out of the house, raped by the Hutus, and then slain with machete knives. As he struggled to deal with this loss, he met a pastor friend who was struggling to deal with this loss as a leader in the country. And he started learning more about this Jesus that he had studied about as a boy. 
in seminary, he heard that, that following Jesus meant not only feeding the hungry and sheltering the homeless and caring for the young, it also meant healing the wounded and forgiving the unforgivable. He learned that Jesus actually called us to a way of life that forgiveness preceded repentance. Because on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But he'd always have this issue that would rile up in him. It was anger. And he said, but my people, my family, they died innocently, he told himself. Why should I have to go and help the people who killed them? And he struggled with this until one night he had a dream. And during the dream, he had a dream about a man beating a mob, beating Jesus as he hung on the cross. And a voice told Gahigi, those people beating Jesus are the very ones who helped, who Jesus helped. They killed your countrymen and your family, but you can help them. And he awoke and he started crying. He said he wept for four hours nonstop. But when he finished crying, he started to feel the light and the love of Jesus in his life. He didn't know what that would mean, but he he ultimately said, my new mission in life is to forgive the people who hurt me. A few weeks after he made that his mission, he heard about the gang, the mob of 15 who killed his sister, that they were in a prison several miles away. And he found that prison and he went to that prison and he introduced himself to the 15 who killed his sister. At first, this 15 wanted nothing to do with him. They thought he was from the government. They thought they, you know, they were going to get more penalty because of this guy in their face. But he started to forgive them and they didn't know what to do with that forgiveness. One by one, They broke down and they received that forgiveness, but also asked for his forgiveness and apologized to him. Today, he's one of this bright picture for the whole country of Rwanda, that forgiveness is the only way out and the only way forward for them as a country. It remains to this day. If you talk to a Rwandan who's lived through that genocide, the only way they're making it is through the forgiveness that Jesus can offer. And it's the same for us. Now, when we start out with this that concept of anger, we're all going to say, but I have the right to. Look what's happened to me. And some of us have had little infractions like me this week, and others of us have major issues that happened to you in your lifetime that you can't get over. Jesus is longing for you to grab onto his hand and to forgive. It's the only way out of anger. It's the only way of life for a follower of Jesus. Let's pray. As we bow our heads right now, let me just ask you, is there anyone in your life that you need to forgive? An event that happened this morning on the way to church or last night that you haven't gotten over? Is there anyone, a spouse, a child, a friend, a neighbor, someone you work with this week? Do you Forgive them right now. Just run to the forgiveness of Jesus. Even if you don't just name them to the Lord. Lord, I forgive this person. Secondly, is there anyone that you need to ask forgiveness from? That you've been harsh with? That 
that you need to apologize for a word, for an action, for a thought, for a resentment, for whatever, a jealousy, that you need to go and say, I'm sorry. Ask God for the courage to do that. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you through your son, Jesus, for teaching us that there is a way to get out of anger, to keep short accounts, to run to those who have offended us or those whom we have offended, and as best as we can, to live at peace at all people, to let forgiveness be our first action, not our last resort, so that Jesus may be reflected in all we do. It's in his name we pray. Amen.